Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Chris Hyams. I'm the CEO of Indeed and welcome to the next installment of Here to Help. This is our look at how Indeed has been navigating the global impact of COVID-19. Today is August 6th. We're on day 156 of global work from home. And for those of you that know Indeed, you know that our mission is to help people get jobs. And this is what gets us out of bed in the morning. It's what keeps us up at night. We also have five core values, and these are really the fundamental ideas that guide us on that mission. They represent what we believe, and they help us to make challenging decisions about our products and about our business. Now, August is Values Month at Indeed, and so we're using our five episodes here throughout the month to explore each of our core values. In the last episode, I spoke with Dave Yates, our Director of UX Research, to talk about our first core value, which is putting job seekers first. Today, we'll be exploring another core value, inclusion and belonging. Now, back in June for episode 12 of Here to Help, I had the distinct pleasure of talking to LaFawn Davis, Indeed's VP of Diversity, Inclusion and Belonging. It was, a, it was an amazing conversation. If you missed the episode, I recommend you go and check it out. Uh, now, one really important aspect of inclusion and belonging is helping to amplify the voices that are not heard as often or as loud. And sometimes the best way to do that is to step aside and let others do the talking. So with that in mind, for today's episode, I'm going to hand over the hosting reins to LaFawn. Uh, I'm really looking forward to being a listener for this conversation between two of Indeed's top leaders. Uh, thank you, LaFawn, and over to you. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, before we get started, I just want everyone to take a second, just take a breath. Um, to understand that this is actually what inclusion and belonging feels like. So what Chris just did in giving over his platform and giving up his seat for today in order for other voices to be heard and for us to tell our own stories is actually one of the greatest ways that you can live the value of inclusion and belonging. So I just wanted us to take a second to acknowledge what that feels like. Uh, today, I am delighted to be joined by Glenda Kirby. Indeed's VP of Client Success and Executive Sponsor of Women at Indeed, which is one of our inclusion resource groups, we call them IRGs, to talk about inclusion and belonging. Welcome, Glenda. Thank you, Yvonne. Delighted to be here today. <laughs> now, this question is, is what we always start off with. Um, and sometimes it's a loaded question, depending on where you are at the moment. But first off, how are you right now? I am good. Today is a great day. Um, I'm heading off on holidays with my family next week. So I'm very excited for that. Not like a normal holiday. So we'll be holidaying in Ireland, which we're calling a staycation here. Um, and we've had a month of rain. So please, everybody, cross your fingers for me and my family next week. Um, on the work front, I think it's been a bit of a whirlwind. I'm five months at Indeed now. Um, I actually onboarded remotely. So I remember actually signing my contract and then hearing, indeed, we're actually going to work remotely. And I, I remember saying to my husband, I wonder, will they be back by the time I start? And here we are five months later. Um, but yeah, it's been really, really good so far. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Glenda. And I'd really love for people to get to know you a little bit. So one of the tidbits that I think is so interesting about you is that you started your career as an engineer, which is, I think, amazing that you're technical. What attracted you to that field of study? Yeah, I mean, it's 
it wasn't intentional. I'd love to be sitting here saying, you know, I dreamt as a child of being an engineer. I did not. Um, I actually wanted to be a dietitian originally. I was really into sport and I played a lot of basketball. Um, and I wanted to, to do something that I could still continue to maybe work with sport or be a part of sport. So I decided to do dietetics in college. Absolutely hated it. I was about three weeks in and continually looking at fungus and bacteria in the labs. I just knew it wasn't for me. Um, mm-hmm. And my parents sat me down and said to me at the time, well, what do you like, you know, throughout your college course that you've already attended? And I said, I really like the computer science class. So yeah, ended up in engineering. Um, which actually is funny because when I look back, my dad's an engineer. He, he's not now. And he actually, he did study engineering. Then he went off to, to do something else. And my husband's an engineer. So I'm kind of, I'm now surrounded by them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for me, it was more around like, I'm really interested in how do we unpack things or how do we build things and make things better? And I see now that that is definitely from my engineering background. Um, but I definitely had moments where, and I think any engineers listening will feel this, if you're not purely coding or working in engineering, you sometimes feel like you failed as an engineer or you've let yourself down. Um, and we might dive into that in more detail later on, but I think a lot of it was around, you know, being the only female with all my work colleagues in engineering and being one of three in the university course that I studied. And definitely, I think that may have cut my engineering, pure core engineering role short. But um, yeah, I think it stands to me now and and it's led me to where I am today, which I'm incredibly grateful about. And I actually do see major correlations between client success and engineering, which is (laughs) strange. Um, but I think like client success is such a new industry. It's less than 10 years old and it's ever evolving. And we're trying to figure out how to do it right. And, and with that, we're constantly innovating and iterating and, and changing things up to see what will work. And just as our clients' environments are changing, we have to adapt to that. So I think it, there's definitely a correlation between the two and it's, it's stood to me so far. So it's led me here today. Wow, that's that's amazing. I had no idea that you used to play basketball. I used to play basketball. So when the world opens back up, I want a game, Glenda. You've been challenged. We <laughs> start practicing now. <laughs> I know it's it's been a while. I'm I'm gonna have to, you know, practice as, as well. So you talked about kind of your your um, start as an engineer, but your role kind of the correlations to client success. Can you give us a little bit more detail about your role um, of VP of Client Success at Indeed? Yeah, I mean, I'm so thankful to have this role. I've told this story before, but I actually went after this role. It was very intentional. I was previously working at LinkedIn for five years before I joined Indeed, and it was such an amazing experience. It was my first time working in, you know, one of the tech giants, as we call them, um, wildly intimidating. I remember my first year thinking, like, how did I get this and why am I here? Um, but I learned so much and I traveled so much, got to meet so many amazing people. Um, and I built out the customer success team, as we call it there, and had just such an amazing experience recruiting brilliant people. Um, and towards the end, I was like, God, I'd really like to move now into a larger role that actually covered both the support function and the client success side of things and really had that end-to-end customer journey um, and just so the client could have that consistent experience. 
And so I started to talk to Indeed about the role actually for a couple of months and was really interested in it. And for me, the culture was so important, uh, whether the culture was one of innovation and whether we could really be agile around changes we wanted to make. And the more people I spoke to, the greater the opportunity sounded. I think what really cemented it for me was I met with Nolan Ferris, our chief revenue officer, and Derek Divney, um, our VP of client success and sales for MIA. And both of them spoke with such passion and conviction around where they felt like the team were today, where we wanted to go tomorrow, but really how pivotal a role they had on the organization. And to me, I just thought that was so wonderful. There, there was obviously such a strong collaboration between sales and CS. So I just thought it was a great opportunity. Yeah. And I was delighted then to get the call, call, um, from Derek to say I was successful. So yeah, five months in now, my team currently now, what the role is, is really trying to unpack what our clients need at this time. I think our clients are in, you know, a scary time as we all are. We're living in a pandemic. And for us, their needs are so, so different. So we have some clients that are completely excelling. We think of our larger clients that have had to hire thousands of people during this pandemic. And then we have clients that are really just trying to survive. Um, so how do you actually service them in the, in the right way and ensure that they're getting value from us, from our products and our services? And then our job seekers. So really putting them at the core of everything we do and we're really trying to build all our initiatives around that right now. So I think we've an exciting journey ahead of us. Um, I'm really proud of how the team has showed up over the last five months. They've been so amazing at welcoming me in, even though I haven't met them yet. I don't actually feel any distance between us. So thank you to all of them who are watching today. Oh, that's fantastic. Glenda, you, you mentioned, um, you know, values are really important. And you, when you were looking for your next role, making sure that you were at a company that that has uh, the values that you align to. One of our values, as you know, is inclusion and belonging, which we're kind of celebrating here today. Um, you've said before that that value is very dear to your heart. Can you explain why and how we live that value at Indeed? Yeah, I think as I've gotten more mature in my career, let's just say, I've been more honest with people about my personal values and I think that they need to align to the company you're going to work for as well. And one of the things I've noticed during this period over the last couple of months is people have been open about their personal values. So, you know, our children are around more. Many of us are caregivers. Um, and we've had that opportunity to really express how we're feeling as, you know, many leaders, as you did today, ask us how we are. So I think it's been a wonderful opportunity to really delve into that. But I think for me, like feeling included is just a basic human need. I see it in my children. I see it in myself, even in friendships I've built. And I think we are a happy and more productive workforce when we all feel like we're part of something that we belong to and something we believe in. Um, and I think that's so true with Indeed, because everybody speaks about our mission with such passion. And I felt very connected to it joining because we help people get jobs means we help everybody. It's, you know, everybody get jobs. And I remember my son asking me, oh, what's your new job and what do you do? And I said, I help people get jobs. And he said, will you help me get a job? Now, he's only six, but I was like, yes, I will. And I said, what, what do you want to do? Now, depending on the day you ask him, he said, I want to be a paleontologist. And I was like, we'll help you 
be a paleontologist. Now the next That's day right. we asked him, yeah, he wants to be a manager of the toy shop, but you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but I think it's just so important to have that sense of belonging. And with that comes confidence. And when you're confident and you have that trusting environment and psychological safety, you'll do your best work. Um, and I'm seeing that more and more now because we've had to be confident in the ability of our teams. You know, we've had that extra trust now, that layer that we're not sitting beside each other. We can't actually, you know, watch what people are doing, not that we, we would have to. But I think that extra layer of trust has really um, helped out with psychological safety. So it's it's definitely something that I appreciate. Um yeah, and I think specifically at Indeed, um, we like to support that work. And I think we see it now because it's part of our, our core values. We've also seen areas of the business roll out diversity, inclusion and belonging as part of their OKRs. Um, Nolan, who I spoke about previously, has rolled that out as an OKR to both the CS and sales organisations. So I think it's so wonderful to see. Um, yes, that's why it's so important to me. Wonderful. Thank you, Glenda. Um, so we're talking about inclusion and belonging and, you know, how we live that value at Indeed, but how does inclusion and belonging show up with how we help our clients? Yeah, I think it shows up in everything we do. And I think we need to be so cognizant that our clients are not, you know, a female engineer from Dublin. They are everybody. And the more diversity we have in our teams, the more, the better we'll be able to service our clients and understand their needs. I think diversity of background, diversity of experience and thought for it all makes for a better workplace. Um, and I think that leads to innovation. So it's something that I'm really passionate about. I think we've amazing recruiters at Indeed. And we've spoken a little bit previously about like, how do we foster an environment where we're going to attract the right people in? I think we're really starting to do that. We're on a learning journey now. Um, and I hope our leaders of Indeed are, are really embracing that learning journey we're on to ensure that we're building those diverse teams. So I think, yeah, we're doing a lot of work, still more to do, but we're we're embracing it, which is great. Fantastic. Um, you know, you mentioned your children before and, you know, five months ago when you started and we had our very first one on one. I love telling this story, just so you know. So uh, for those of you watching, Glenda and I met for our first one-on-one. And as she explained, you know, we were all working from home. So of course, this is virtual. And I asked the question, Glenda, how are you doing? And she looks over and see her children running around. And she's like, LaFawn, they don't have on any pants. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. And it was then that I knew that Glenda and I would be great together <laughs> because... If you are managing pantless kids and figuring out how to onboard, um, understanding how to lead a fantastic team like Client Success, um, then you and I are great. And, and we're both parents. My, my child, of course, is adult at this point, but we have that shared space of being a parent and trying to figure it out. Um, actually, shout out to the Parents and Caregivers Inclusion Resource Group. This is their month, along with Values Month. Um, but I just wanted to tell people that story because it really did endear me to you. Um, I think you're fantastic. Shortly after that, um, I asked for you to be the executive sponsor of our Women at Indeed IRG Inclusion Resource Group. Can you tell us about the IRG and why it's so important to you, for those who may not know, uh, and what the role is of an executive sponsor? Yes, I love that you love that story. Thank you. <laughs> It was one of those moments where I knew it was okay that my children were running around naked. 
Um, that's kind of become the norm now, which is so interesting. That's what I spoke about, like personal values coming into our everyday work space. Um, I remember actually being at an offsite two weeks in and Nolan asked me the same question. How are you? And I had that moment of, will I be vulnerable and actually tell him that I'm really worried about my children right now and I'm worried about how I'm showing up? Or will I just tell him everything's okay? And I think it's such a nice question because um, I actually told him I wasn't okay and that I was very concerned about homeschooling and and having a new role and, and trying to create space to learn. And, and he was like, listen, Glenda, my kids are here with me. I have four. And sure enough, they came in throughout the, the session, throughout the offsite. And I just felt like, yeah, this is going to be okay. I made the right decision. So I think, so now he starts meetings, but all children are welcome. Oh, I, I'm sure I'd oh. like them to be fully clothed, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so the IRG is just such a passion project for me. And I think like it's an absolute honor to be asked to be the executive sponsor. When I joined, indeed, I was so lucky to have Tracy O'Carroll as my executive assistant. And she she's one of the co-chairs in EMEA. And she said to me, Glenda, you know, you have to meet Lafon and we're actually actively looking for an executive sponsor. And I was like, could I do it? Because I'd moved from being an active chair in other organizations to could I actually be the executive sponsor? Um, and it's so wonderful to see that evolution. And I think that's part of us all being allies um, as we all continue to be part of IRGs that we're passionate about. Our mission within our IRG within um, Indeed is to champion a culture of inclusion by providing a platform of advocacy, development and support of women at Indeed. Um, and I think that we're trying to achieve what most female IRGs are, which is gender equality. Um, but I think what's different for us is we're trying to do that within the culture and within the product. So I think that's super interesting. Um, which is something that I haven't seen a lot of before. And that's why I feel very passionate about our, our IRGs, because I think they're actually having a business impact, which is brilliant because so many people who are part of IRGs invest not just their business time, but their personal time. And they really become labors of love. And what happens is they're usually underrepresented minorities who actually probably are working very, very hard to get promoted or, or to be heard. And then they're also doing that additional work as part of the IRG. So I think it's it's so incredible that anyone gives up their time to do that. And I'm, I'm incredibly thankful. Um, my role as exec sponsor is just to ensure that I represent this team as best I can. And I want to make sure that they have a voice in all of those leadership meetings that I'm at. Um, and what's been really incredible is the team actually, you know, they have a voice. We all have voices, but it's just ensuring that everybody's listening to us and, and including us in the decisions they're making. So yeah, it's just, it's an absolute honor, Lafon, and I'm, I'm really thrilled to be part of this IRG. Wonderful. Well, you, we are thrilled to have you. Um, so you, you mentioned the business impact of an IRG. You know, some people think about inclusion resource groups or employee resource groups, business resource groups. Um, and they only think about kind of the community building aspect, the fun part of it, but they really are making business impact. Shout out to all of the IRG leaders for doing all that you do for Indeed and for women at super proud, super, super proud um, of the way that they have pivoted uh, their strategy after COVID-19 to ensure that they are continuing to make business impact in this virtual environment. What are the types of initiatives and, and, and things that the women at IRG does to 
to provide that business impact at Indeed? Yeah, I mean, they're doing so much. When I got here, I couldn't believe it's like a mini business. You know, I've seen IRGs that like have coffee mornings or, you know, really focus on the networking aspect, but not this IRG. They mean business. So they're set up like a business. They, you know, they're measured on ROI. They have budgets and they have strategies, which are global, which is really amazing. And their main focus is they want to increase awareness and accountability. And I think that accountability piece is really, really interesting um, their strategies are all global, so we can adopt them no matter where you are in the world. And I think what I'm trying to do is help them be the voice and operationalize that strategy at tables that they mightn't be there. So really good things that I've seen, like I read their newsletter all the time. I've got some really great information from them. Um, and even the time it takes to put together those newsletters is just unbelievable. And I think the roles that these chairs are taking on are pure leadership roles. And I hope it gives them the platform that they would like to elevate themselves into, into future leadership roles. Um, we've had some really great fireside chats, which I learned so much from. I know you've been part of a few of them and I've heard such great feedback. So I look forward to being, uh, to being at one of those. We've had some mentor sessions since April. We've had 14 executives across the business. Um, take part in mentor sessions. I was lucky enough to get to do one as well. And it's just incredible. It's so vulnerable. You really go deep on issues around challenges you've had in your career and how, you know, some of our male mentors have really talked about like allyship and why they're so passionate about it. Or they've talked about their children, daughters and wanting them to have like an equal playing field just as they do their sons. And it's it's been really good. We've had up to about 500 people attend them. So really successful. I talked a little bit about the product inclusion group. That's something that I think is so amazing. We want our product to be as inclusive as possible. We have teams that are actively going through job descriptions to ensure they're not discriminatory or there are no biases in there, which I think is really incredible um, and something that I'm really proud of. And then more recently, I had a team come to me to talk to me about virtual hiring events. So virtual hiring events will focus on how we can get more women into the tech space. So I thought this was really interesting. Initially, um, when Claire McGrain came to me, I thought, wow, is this going to be a bit exclusive? But it actually isn't. It's open to everybody. All of our clients were hoping to do it in October. Um, and what we'll be focusing on from a client perspective will be how do we help our clients be more diverse? How do we help them get diverse slates so that they can hire the right people, but that they have, you know, the right people coming forward? Um, and we're also going to do things like coaching around resumes, interview coaching. And we're going to have some really great panels of speakers around how they manage to get into certain roles, what their leadership journey looks like, imposter syndrome, all those things that, that we know we all face on a daily basis. So I'm very excited about that. And big shout out to Claire, Danny Stacey, Matt Burney, Tamsin Young and Jerry Nixon, because I think it's such a fabulous idea and they've been so brave in coming forward and asking for it. So well done to that team. Amazing, amazing work. I'm super proud of all of them. Um, and again, thank you to all of the IRG co-chairs and site leads and active members who are making Indeed um, a better place. Um, let's get into kind of our, our environment, our current environment. Uh, you know, many researchers and commentators are now saying that the pandemic combined 
with the economic downturn are hitting women the hardest. Do you believe this is true? And why would that be the case? I do, LaFawn, and I wish I didn't. I think it's, um, I just think we're seeing more roles and more sectors that are predominantly female with more job losses. Like if you think about the retail industry, um, hotel industry, carers, creches, Montessori's, childcare, um, those industries are disproportionately, you know, disproportionately leaning on, on female or women. And I think that that's why we're seeing a massive gap there. I think also women are being pulled in various directions. So you're working, but sometimes women feel that responsibility of being the caregiver or if they're parents of being the sole parent, or maybe they are single parents, which is, you know, an extra layer of a struggle. Um, the University of Cambridge did an unemployment study and we saw, unfortunately, that four percentage points more unemployment actually fell with women. And it's even worse in the US. We're seeing figures of 21% female versus 14% male. So I definitely think it's taking us back a few decades, which is concerning me. Um, so I hope that, I mean, we have a lot of flexibility at Indeed. And I know that I have friends and colleagues on my network that don't have that flexibility. And I think we're really going to have to work hard to ensure that women really feel that they can stay in the workforce if that's what they would like to do. As we think about inclusive workplaces with with all of that known and that data and that research that says kind of how things are hitting hitting women you know when we talk about creating the inclusive workplace so what we can do internally inside indeed inside our companies for those that are watching from other other spaces what kinds of issues do women face in the workplace i think there's a bit of a cultural bias towards seeing leadership in a crisis as a male attributes. And I've read a lot about this lately, which is actually disappointing, um, which we don't think is true at all. We're looking for things like compassion, compassionate leadership, leading through a crisis is definitely not what it used to be. And I think we're in a pandemic. This is something none of us have lived before. Like we've definitely lived downturns and crashes, but not a pandemic. So I don't think we can look to previous leadership styles that may have been male dominated and think, right, we need those attributes. I think the two-tiered workforce that we talked about, that you're, be, you're working at home, you might be homeschooling or caring, or you might actually be alone and not be a parent, which is a huge challenge as well in terms of your mental wellness. So I think that's something that will affect both male and female um, workers, but I think it's something we really need to keep an eye on. I'm also quite concerned about women, maybe women that are pregnant right now or going off on maternity leave. I know they have massive concerns about being part of layoffs, for example, if they're not there to represent themselves and their role. And I know budgets are tightening and it's, it's you know, it's hard to get roles signed off. So covering for maternity leave, for example, might be, be a challenge as well. But I think we can be innovative and look at opportunities around people stepping up into these roles and really seeing it as like short-term secondments that are that are great for the people to to get that nine month or six month or whatever the period is depending on where you are in the world to get that opportunity um and i think i think we're really going to have to look at like how we're doing promotions how we're doing mid-cycle reviews and are we taking into account you know the circumstances that people are in right now so yeah those are areas of concern for me right now 
Wonderful. I mean, not wonderful. Um, <laughs> wonderful answer, but not a wonderful situation. So we have this this huge community of women, and women, you know, presumptively make up half the world at least, um, if not more. So let's also talk about this this major community of women and how intersectionality shows up in this conversation. You know, oftentimes I will start off, you know, introducing myself with my layers, with the differences I have in my identities and how they all work together. I'll say I am a woman, I'm black, I'm queer, I'm of a mature age, um, I'm a parent, like all of these different layers. I'm a woman, but I have lots of different identities. So can you talk a little bit about how intersectionality shows up in that space? We talk about how the pandemic is affecting women, but there are differences in how they're affecting women in different communities. I and mean, also internally um, in inside a company, inside Indeed, how does intersectionality start to show up there? Yes, intersectionality is actually something that I have only learned about at Indeed, would you believe? So although I've thought about it previously, um, the terminology and the wording is new to me. So I think that is something that we can all be encouraged that we're all learning. I certainly don't know at all, um, but it's something that I'm very honest about. And I've had the support of Jill Quinn and Tracy O'Carroll and all these brilliant people that are, are helping me learn. So really interested in that. So I think with intersectionality, it adds an additional layer of complexity. Um, and often when we talk about IRGs with women, we, we think about white women and we think about like women that are actually, you know, who, who am I? Am I thinking about myself? Am I thinking about the people around me? What am I seeing or what age? gender what are we thinking of and i think this is often because our own unconscious bias kicks in and I, i've often used the phrase you know you can't be what you can't see and i think if you're not surrounded by that diversity you kind of forget and it becomes an unconscious bias so i think it adds an additional layer of complexity and my hope is that the irgs can continue to work together more um, on all the great things that we're doing so that you don't feel you have to join all these different groups in order to be represented. I think using an intersectional lens or a way of thinking helps us to unpack all of the differences around us and about us. And I think that's what makes us, you know, amazing as human beings. Um, I think those multiple identities impact the experience and the value that we have in the world. So, um, yeah, I think it's really important and it's something that I'm really trying to learn about. Wonderful, Glenda. I think I think we all learn, right? We all learn about communities around us. And sometimes we learn that we're part of a community we didn't really realize before um, because there's so many. There's so many ways that we experience life, workplace and everything else. Um, this is, I think, a great time to also talk about the importance of allies and allyship when it comes to inclusion and belonging. We, we have our layers, we have our identities, but there's so many more around us um, that we can support. So talk about a little bit about what role allyship, sponsorship and mentoring can play in supporting change. Yeah, I love this word. <laughs> I think allyship is the most important. Um, and I think our leaders of the future, I really hope that we foster this within our leaders, that they, they should be allies. We need allies. We need power and privileged people to fight oppression. I think it's so interesting to me that I've moved from somebody who felt like I was in a minority in an engineering role to now I feel like I might be in a role with a bit of privilege or power that I should be able to lean in and help people. 
Um, and it even feels strange saying that. I don't think people are comfortable saying that they're in a role of privilege or power, but I am. I mean, the fact that I can stay here and talk to you today about this means that I am and, and I want to continue to be an ally. Um, but I would just encourage people, like you said, to learn, to ask questions. Don't be afraid. Nobody's ever going to say to you, can't believe you don't know about this. They'll just be happy that you want to learn. Um, and I think other things that are really important around allyship, like this today, you mentioned Chris giving us the space to talk and not telling our stories. I think that's really important. I think building meaningful relationships is important and actually understanding, like understanding me, what's made me tick, understanding La Femme, what's her journey been like? And that will help you grow. And not just asking people to come and take part in panels and then not continuing that relationship because then you won't continue to grow and learn more about that subject. So I think, yeah, for me, it's all encompassing. Um, and I think the most important piece is learning. Just be open to learning. That's right. Open to learning. It's not just about, it's not about the ability. If you don't know, it's about the willingness and the openness uh, to learn about others. So that that is amazing, Glenda. Um, and you're right. This is this is actually a great time in, in the midst of all of this chaos <laughs> in the world. This is a great time for us to learn more about each other and how we can support each other um, and just kind of be good to our neighbors. Right. Going back to the fundamental like kindergarten rule, <laughs> just just be kind to each other. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd actually love to, to end on this note on a personal level. Are there any stories of clients that have stuck with you over time? What would you like people to remember about inclusion and belonging? Oh, there are so many. I mean, my favorite part of the role is actually hearing from clients and getting to meet them. So, I mean, we're trying to figure out how we can do that, you know, virtually. But I took part in a session two weeks ago around wellness and we had an Irish celebrity come in who's very well known. Even my mum was like very jealous that I was getting to talk to him. But he is now really focused on neurology, mental well-being and really looking after your mind. Um, and I was chatting to him for an hour. It was such an interesting session. And I said to him, I'm not an expert in this area. I'm very intimidating even having this conversation. And he said to me, Glenn, do you need to know yourself and your own mind and how you react to things? And then you'll be able to help others. You don't need to be an expert. And I said, great. And I got so much feedback after that session around a plan that he had asked people to take, which was a five-step plan. And then some of our CS and sales teams came to me and said, one of our big clients that are about to enter into possibly another phase that they would really benefit from understanding about wellness and they were in an organization that maybe hadn't been exposed to that. And the fact that we could share that with them and, you know, talk about diversity, inclusion and belonging because we had educated our teams on it just really made me feel so proud. And it also made me proud that this client is in a, a really essential role to the world right now. So I felt like we were having an impact there. So it was a really nice story. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Glenda. You are always an absolute pleasure to speak with. Um, and I thank you for sharing your story with us and others today. You're very welcome, LaFon. Any chance to get to talk to you. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. I see Chris has popped back up. Uh, I will hand it back over to Chris. 
Thanks. I just wanted to say thanks to both uh, Glenda and Lafon. That was that was a master class there, and it was a, a perfect illustration. Um, I always learn a lot more from listening than from talking, so it was really wonderful to get to listen to both of you. Thank you both for everything that you do uh, for Indeed and for the world around us, and thanks for joining us today for this conversation.